Welcome to the Black Entrepreneur Experience Podcast, inside the business, buzz, and brilliance of Black entrepreneurs. Here is your host, Dr. Francis Richards. What happens in Vegas goes all over the world on Black Entrepreneur Experience, episode number 374. Thank you for joining us as we elevate the Black Entrepreneur Experience by interviewing CEOs, thought leaders, innovative thinkers, and Black entrepreneurs across the globe. I'm your host, Dr. Francis Richards. Our next guest is founder and CEO of The Lesson Cast, a company that helps schools implement professional learning initiatives focused on diversity, equity, and inclusion. Welcome, Nicole Tucker-Smith. Thank you so much, Dr. Richards, for having me. I'm excited about having this conversation. I love thinking about Black entrepreneurship, and if I can be part of that conversation, then I'm all about it. Absolutely. Well, I've given our audience such a brief bio. Why don't you fill in the gaps and share with our audience what you'd like them to know about you and your company? Yes. So I would say the first thing to know about LessonCast is that we're a professional learning company and we do primarily focus in schools. We're moving more towards more workplace DEI, particularly starting with health equity, and that connects to my own personal story that I can share in a little bit. But without using too many education buzzwords and jargon, really what LessonCast is about is about cultivating spaces for dialogue across differences. And in everything we do, that is the through line. How do we cultivate spaces for dialogue across differences? And so that shows up in the work we do with schools in curriculum and instruction and reimagining their practices. And it also shows up when we have uh, not just our our professional learning platform and our workshops and the content that we produce and the books and the articles, but also in our podcast, did we learn anything? So we are really about this holistic approach to thinking about cultivating spaces for dialogue across differences. Now, our company was founded in 2011, but really it started to take off in 2020 for a variety of reasons that I'm I'm sure we can get into in a little bit more, but just a little few other things about my bio. I am also a professional dancer. I'm in a modern dance company. I live in Baltimore, Maryland. And um, we, we were so exciting. We actually just had a photojournalism essay come out about us this morning. So I'm just, I'm on a whole other high this morning. And I'm a mother of two, a just now turned, yesterday turned 16. And my daughter next month will turn 14. So that's just a little bit about me in a nutshell. Oh, that is amazing. We have to unpack so much there. And kudos for the dance, a dancing mom. Absolutely love it. Talk about your why. Why do you do what you do? Yes. You know, I actually wrote an article about why I do what I do. And so this is going to be a bit of a personal story, but here it goes. So in 20, well, my first why was that I realized in order for schools to be better, professional learning and the support around teachers needed to be better. So my first why was I wanted professional development, professional learning, professional training not to be the worst thing ever. It should be reinvigorating rather than fatiguing. But then I got even clearer on my why in 2020. And, you know, other everyone has been through something. I was diagnosed with breast cancer in January of 2020. And my book, Supercharge Your Professional Learning, was scheduled to come out in 
February of 2020. And here I am, I was going into 2020 thinking, I'm going to do all these things. Everything's going to be great. I'm going to be on fire. I got the book tour coming. And then the month before the book comes out, I'm told I have breast cancer. It's invasive. They don't know what to do because it's showing up differently than how they had expected. In that moment, I said, okay, you know what? I'm going to get real clear on my purpose. And I'm only doing the things that I feel that align with that purpose. And that's where we really started to focus on not just doing professional development about anything, but about inclusion, about equity, about belonging. And that is when actually the business started to take off. Partly because since I knew I was going to be going through breast cancer treatment for the next year, and I'm not one to just give up, I said, well, I need to figure out how I'm going to stay connected. And so we created the Jumpstart PD Network for other professionals in that space so I could stay connected to them. Now, I didn't know the whole world was going to shut down for a year. And so (laughs) we were ahead of the game in terms of having a space for folks to get connected. And because we were so focused on our purpose, people would ask, well, can you do PD on this? Can you do training on this? No, this is what we are focused on right here. And then to help with that, I started also doing a lot of writing. So in educational leadership, we, I wrote an article called The Illusion of Equity PD, because I see a lot of people doing things that is not actually making a difference. And by doing those things, they think they're doing something and it's actually costing us because real change is not taking place. So that was my first, uh, one of my articles that came out, The Illusion of Equity PD. But then I put out another article called Why the Debate Over School Curriculum Matters to Everyone. And this is what really crystallizes my why. So in going through breast cancer treatment, we decided, we made the decision, my oncologist and I, that I would go through chemotherapy. And one of the toxins that I would be subjected to was known to sometimes cause alopecia, long-term hair loss, which Jada Pinkett Smith has made much more public now. And I said, you know, I, I would like to avoid that. I was, like, I was like, I can handle being bald for a little bit, but if I can, if I can avoid that, I would like to. And so she recommended that I use a, I use a scalp cooling cap. And scalp cooling cap, it's somewhat new. It was approved by the FDA in 2017, but it was still a, a new, it's still somewhat new technology at the time was not covered by healthcare insurance. And I said, okay, I want to use this scalp cooling cap. Now, because I was going through cancer treatments during COVID, nobody could come with me into the space. And so the nurses had to help me and because you couldn't do the cooling cap on your own. And they said, all right, we went to the training on how to use this medical device. You have to wet your hair in order for it to lie flat. I was like, excuse me, you want me to wet my hair so that it will lie flat? That's not how my black hair works. (laughs) If I wet my hair, it's going to expand. And they were like, oh, you know what? This other black woman, because we're in Baltimore, but there's a lot of black women going through cancer treatments here. And so they were like, yeah, one of our patients yesterday wet her hair. She, we made her take out her braids and wet her hair and her hair went woof. And so basically to make a long story short, because I had ineffective directions on how to use the product, I ended up losing all my hair. I kept, I kept the, my bangs. I had like three little bangs that the rest of me was bald, lost the rest of my hair, but I still kept using the, the scalp cooling cap because I was worried about long-term damage. 
I did some investigating and I did not go down quietly. And the owners, the uh, company the actually called me, management from the company, the hair device company called me. And they said, we understand that we do not have adequate directions for someone with your type of hair, but we're doing, we're doing more studies in the UK to see what we can do for black people. So I fast forward and when they did the study in the UK, they still required all of those black women to wet their hair. And what did it do? It expanded and they actually had to discontinue the study because they were showing, they couldn't show proof of efficacy. So I go and I talk to my friend, she was amazing. And she runs a brain lab and amazing PhD runs a brain lab. And I said, look, they keep telling me that I need to wet my hair, that we need to wet our hair for conductivity. I feel like that is made up. And she said, oh no, that's not made up. Conductivity is a real thing when you're trying to connect to the scalp. She's like, but you don't, you don't have to use water. You can use hair gel. That's what I use on with folks with curly hair. I use hair gel. I said, oh my goodness. I know how to make my hair lie flat with some gel. We've been doing that. And so it just, and and I say all of this to say, one, how did the FDA, oh, oh, that's the other thing. I went back and I looked at all the clinical trials that were submitted to the FDA in order to get approval. All of them were with white women, particularly of Scandinavian descent. That's against the rules for the FDA. You're supposed to have diversity in your clinical trials, especially for a hair product when no one spends more money on hair products than Black women. So I say all of that to say, how is it that the F, and this is what I put in my article, why the debate over school curriculum matters to everyone. How is it that the FDA didn't think to be inclusive? How is it that the medical device company didn't consider different hair textures? Well, it's because our children, all of us go through school with a primarily Eurocentric focused curriculum. And so some people grow up thinking that they're the universal. And it is critical because it's showing up in our medicine. It's showing up in, that's why we have breast cancer, women, Black women have fewer incidences of breast cancer and die more, wow. right? And so it's, it's in, and it's those kinds of things where they often try to blame, oh, well, it's your health, it's your stress. Is it? I actually know it's the system that doesn't see me as a whole person or see me at all. And so I am committed to this work of dialogue across differences because I need all people to see us. It's not just about us seeing us. Everybody needs to see us so that they design and know that we are here. So that was a long story about my why, but that's it. (laughs) I love it. I love it. And so how are you doing now? I am healthy. So a few months ago, I received my first screening that said no evidence of cancer. And for a long time, I would struggle with that. Are you cancer free? Are you cancer free? Because anyone who goes through this knows that it always kind of, you know, is in the back of my mind because they did find evidence of cancer in my lymph nodes. So we don't know, you know, if they got it all, but so far it's not showing up. But what I finally did was I was exercising one morning and I said, you know what? I may have trouble with the label cancer free, but I am free from cancer dictating my life. I love that. That is a new place. And so I tell the folks too, when we work on diversity, equity, and inclusion, I say, you know what, are you going to be racism free? Probably not, but you can create a space where you're free from racism dictating the outcomes that we have. Mm -hmm. And that's where I try to get them to go. I love that. Fill in the blank. Thank you, pandemic, because. Thank you, pandemic, because this was an opportunity for me to see what really matters, and how much I matter. 
I was able to really gain clarity. And at the same time, I was also able to stay connected. In some ways I am, and this is going to sound horrible, maybe, but I'm actually really grateful because of the pandemic, I was able to keep working because everyone finally made the shift to being more flexible with virtual options. And I couldn't travel. I would have good days and I would have bad days. So there would have been no traveling for me in 2020 anyway. And my bread and butter at that time was in-person workshops. And now we're back. We still do in-person workshops, but we have a mix of hybrid. And it was, the pandemic gave us the flexibility and the customer base that would be flexible enough to let me connect with them, not just in person, but virtually. And so it, I mean, it really did make a huge difference for our company and honestly, for my personal mental health to still be able to do my work, to still be able to make a difference, even when I couldn't go outside. Nicole, thank you so much for being so authentic and not letting cancer dictate who you are, but it, it actually propelled you to be stronger. That's the beauty of a setback, right? A setback is a setup for your success. Exactly. And that's why I said, I'm just going to, I'm going to let this be, I'm just going to let this propel me forward. (laughs) Who was Nicole Tucker Smith? Mm. Ah, what a great question. So, you know, I've been, I've been doing some thinking around making sure I have a little bit of what's important to me every day. So here's who is Nicole Tucker Smith. I took the time, I sat down and I said, here are my five values that are Nicole Tucker Smith. And if I can have a little bit in each one of these five buckets every day, I am grateful. And so my five values, my first value is love and family. Love, I love my family. I, I got the most amazing children. I've got the most amazing brothers. I've got the most amazing parents. I love them. My family is also my friends. And they really held me so close through this journey and haven't let go. And we've become closer for that. So my first, that's my first value. My second value is revolution. I'm a fighter. (laughs) One of the sayings I came up with during my cancer fight was, it's not always the fight you choose. It's always how you choose to fight. And that's, I will live by that. It's not always the fight you choose. It's always how you choose to fight. So my second, that's my second value is revolution. My third value is creativity. I am a very creative person. So I'm a dancer. I'm a choreographer. I like to paint. I like to sing. I'm always producing new ideas. Sometimes my team is like, oh my gosh, another new idea. But then they make it happen. They run with it. And um, so creativity is a, a key part of me. My fourth value is fun. I like to have fun. I laugh a lot. And so, uh, and when I was teaching, people would always say, I know when you're in the building, because you can hear you laughing down the hall. And it is just, it's so much, I love it. And it's just, I think it's essential. I think people don't laugh enough. (laughs) And then my last value is productivity. I'm about getting work done. And I'm about creating the structures for my organization to not only have fun and be creative, but to be productive. It's one thing to come up with a whole bunch of ideas. It's another thing to execute. And we execute with excellence. So those are my five things. Love and family, revolution, creativity, fun, and productivity. And that's me in a nutshell. I want you to have a monologue. I want you to name this person 
living or not, and this person has inspired you so much, who's the person and what are you saying to that person? Oh my goodness. So there, there's so many people who've inspired me and, you know, including, you know, my family and my parents and, you know, but I've spoken to them and I've shared with them and I've even done interviews with uh, my father and how he's inspired me. But if I were to do a monologue to a person who I can't talk to right now, I, and who I've never said this out loud ever, I would say, dear Eartha Kitt, you inspire me every day. You turned tragic circumstances into a beautiful, strong, amazing, fierce story. You went from having to hide underneath a home. That's why they called you Kit, hiding down with the cats to avoid abuse. But you said, I'm not gonna stay there. And you became this amazing performer, dancer, actress. You did not let your circumstances define you. You transcended them to create something amazing. And that is what I aim to do. Also, I get a lot that I tend to look a lot like her. <laughs> and we actually have the same body type and everything. And I take that as such a compliment because she is a fighter, but she also did it with elegance, grace, and, you know, and some sexiness too. And so I say, thank you, Eartha Kitt, for showing me what is possible inside of me. That is beautiful, Nicole. And I can't wait for the audience, those that are listening, but we also have this in video for them to tune in. Because at that moment, I thought about like actors and actresses and how they go into character. And at that moment, when you said that, I could actually see her in you. So, and then for you to say people said it, I literally saw it. So that was really, really profound. So awesome. thank you for thank sharing. You. What is the impact that you make daily on individuals' lives? Mm. You know what? I think, so all of our work, whenever our, so our team, I say, you know, we have, we have three, three eyes whenever we do our professional learning work. We need to make sure that our work is insightful. We need to make sure that it is integrated. We help folks see how does this relate to their daily lives. And we have to make sure that we are inspirational so people feel compelled to move forward. And so the biggest piece of feedback that I get from my clients and from, from those who observe our work is that, wow, this is possible. A new way of being, a new way of doing things is actually possible. We can rise above this current zero-sum gain of, you know, every winner takes all. We can do this. And not only do I want to do it, but I see a way forward. And so inspiration isn't just about creating a sense of hope, but it's creating a sense of hope, but also helping folks see the way to get there and then helping them have the confidence to take that first step. It's all about, do I see what is possible? And do I know how to take that first step? And we make sure that that is a part of everything that we do. And we also listen. We listen to those who are the most resistant and we listen to those who are more than ready 
And we're constantly refining to make this a more effective learning experience for everyone. And that is what has helped us always get to that place of, wow, you really inspired me. I had one, I did one keynote for a client that we're, we're doing the multi-year initiative with them. And we were kicking off this keynote and somebody wrote in the chat, she was a teacher and she said, you know, I was having a lot of anxiety and feeling really sad about the start of school because teachers have gone through so much. We actually started a wellness deck called Exhale Already to help us support the mindfulness and the well the wellness for our educators. And so we integrate mindfulness and, and health and just really thinking about taking care of ourselves and community care and all of the work we do. But the teacher wrote to me, she said, I was feeling really anxious and sad about the start of the school year. And after listening to you just for this half an hour this morning, I am so inspired and ready to see my students. And that to me meant everything. If you can help folks make that shift to just believe in themselves and believe that the work is possible and that they're part of a community so that when they encounter a setback, not if, when you encounter a setback, who is there to walk with you? I always say, you know, if you feel tired, look around, are you walking alone? Where is your crew? Where is your family? Cultivate that community care because I used to think that I could do a lot of stuff. I was, I was so independent. I was like, I got this all by myself. Let me tell you, I got, woo, sad. Universe says, sit down. <laughs> Find your crew. <laughs> Let me carry you a little bit. And so, you know, we talk about self-care, but also at the heart of it is community care. You know, how are we taking care of one another? How are we helping inspire one another? What does self-care look like for Nicole Tucker-Smith? Mm. Oh, what a good question. What does self-care look like for me? Well, you know, I will say that I started a routine. So I had surgery, I had chemotherapy, and I had radiation. So all that took about a year. But during radiation, I developed a self-care routine that I still keep, you know, years later, two years later. So with radiation, it was every day, every day, every day. And I would say, well, you know what? What I'm gonna do is I'm gonna win the morning. That's what I'm gonna do. So I would schedule myself for like the first appointment. I would get up early before everybody else. It was dark. I would do my little exercises. I would go, I'd get the hardest thing out of the way. And I'd come back home and I said, whew, I've won the day. And so I will always pour a little bit into myself when I first get up, I get up, I meditate, I do my stretches because my body's a little bit slower than it used to be. And dancing, you know, dancing at 40 plus, plus, plus is requires a lot of recovery and a lot of intention. <laughs> so I get up and I do my stretches and I sit and I listen to the sound of silence and I'm ready to start my day. And so sometimes I'll exercise in the morning, sometimes I'll exercise in the evening, but I always start that, that morning with just sitting at least for five minutes and listening to the sound of silence. And you know, I wake up in the morning, I have all these ideas, my thinking is clear. You know, I make sure the other thing I do is during the day, make sure I take a walk outside, you know, just connect with nature a little bit. I see things that everything appears brighter, you know, everything appears more vibrant and just taking time to appreciate the nature and how awesome it is to be alive really making sure I have those moments. That's what self-care looks like for me. And then also for me, just a key component is dance. I dance, I dance, I dance, I dance. 
I dance. I dance when I wake up. I dance in the um, performance. I love performing. We have a free performance this weekend that we're doing in the park. Like that's that's joy to me. Dancing in the park. Like it doesn't get better than that. You know, dancing on the stage, dancing for fun, just on the weekends. I also do soca, and so I love. Um, I'm, I, I go to carnival. You know, and that's uh, soca. That's that soca lifestyle is important to me. I engage in soconomics as a key component of my self-care. And so that's an exercise wellness group that, you know, anybody can do, but just finding moments to say, what brings me joy and making sure I have some of that in it throughout the day. I love that. And that is a a point of connectivity for us. Like I love, love, love to dance. And so you're 40 plus. And so I'm 60 plus. And one of my dreams is to go to Argentina and learn the Argentina tango. Ooh, yes. So, yeah. So absolutely love, love, love dance. And I have an acronym that I made and dance stands for determined action now creates energy. Oh my gosh. I just got chills. I love that. So when I hear the culture that you're talking about in Maryland, Mm -hmm. dancing in the park, and I know they do a lot of that in California. And so wanting to connect with that where I'm at, and it might be a situation where I just do dance tours, just go where there's culturally dance. And one of the things that I'm putting myself out there, I want to do a TikTok channel around dance because I love dance. So yeah. I'm going to look for you at TikTok. <laughs> not yet. It's not out there yet. So I'm just like. It's coming. You just yeah. declared it. Now you got to do it. <laughs> so love, love, love it. <laughs> Nicole, there are so many brands or businesses that are dominating. Talk about a brand or a business that's dominating that you admire and why. Ooh. Oh, man. Oh, this is a, that's a good question. A brand that's dominating that I admire and why. Well, I have to say. The brand I admire the most is Oprah Winfrey's brand and own the Oprah Winfrey network. And I admire her so much, especially because part of her early career was in Baltimore, where I live now. And I mean, I drive past TV Hill. I drive past TV Hill every day on my way to the dance studio. And I had a a moment uh, where I, I attended a webinar where she presented and um, this is so entrepreneurs, especially black women, listen to this. She said, I was able to win big because I was under underestimated. I was able to bet on myself and win big because they didn't think that I could. And I have taken that to heart. I said, because I you know, as an entrepreneur, all the times I've been pitching or trying to sell and just being underestimated and discounted or then told, oh, you speak so well. Oh, you're so poised. Did you learn that in the military? And I just had to like, I see you brushed it off. All right. I'm going to succeed in spite of, and not only in spite of, because you underestimate me. And so those words really just, it gave me, gave me new resilience, I'll say, to navigate these spaces. Did you serve in the military? No. <laughs> nope. <laughs> but I'm like, how are you assuming? <laughs> Why would you ask me that? <laughs> Nicole, talk about 
the cancer diagnosis and raising babies, raising children. Yes. Oh my goodness. Let me tell you. So I was driving home. I don't know why they always call. Every time I get my, a call from a doctor with some bad news is at 445 on a Friday. Why? I don't know. Cause I literally can't do anything with this information <laughs> at that time other than cry. But I guess that's when they have time to call. So that's what you get your call. And so I was, I remember I had just picked my son up from school and I was, we were driving on the way to pick up my daughter and I was driving and I got the phone call and, but I had been waiting. I had been waiting to get my diagnosis for my biopsy. And actually let me pause right there. I'm going to put a pin in there. Let me back up a little bit. One thing I need to tell this audience is to know yourself, know thyself. So I actually went in for a mammogram in December of 2019 and they told me my mammogram was clear. And I said, but I feel something. And they're like, oh no, it's, it's clear. And I said, but I feel something. And it wasn't there before. And then they said, well, can you show us? And so then I showed them and they're like, well, we don't really have a prescription for that. I stood in there for three hours in my gown and said, no, I need you to do an ultrasound. What I didn't know is I could have declared, I could have asked for an MRI, but um, if you have in certain states, if you have dense breasts, you can push and say a mammogram is not the best screening for you. And that's important. And people don't understand that. And that's one of the reasons why I believe black women are dying more because the screening options aren't set up for us. But anyway, so I pushed and I said, I need you to do an ultrasound. So they did the ultrasound, saw something. The doctor got very quiet and she said, all right, you need to come back in for a biopsy. In January, I had the biopsy. Now, fast forward, I'm in the car and they call me and the doctor says, well, it wasn't what we expected, but it is, it is cancer and it is invasive and we need you to come in for some next steps. And I had to pull over because I was crying so hard. And then I heard my son's voice in the backseat saying, mom, what's going on? And I had to pull myself together and I said, okay, baby, we're going to talk about it. I don't want to pretend that something isn't happening. Let me go get your sister and we'll have a conversation. And what I've learned is my kids are so strong and we talked about it. And I said, look, I got a bad diagnosis, but a bad diagnosis isn't the worst thing. What would have been worse if I had accepted their good diagnosis when it was false? I said, because now we know, now we have information and now we can fight. But if I had accepted their positive diagnosis in December, 2019, all I needed was a COVID excuse not to go in for a mammogram in December, 2020, I'd have been dead by now. It was already invasive. So I said, you know what? A bad diagnosis. Sometimes people want to run away from bad information. I said, that's not the worst thing. Not knowing that would have been much worse. And I, you know, I think they see that. And uh, my daughter just said to me the other day, she goes, I still have trouble believing. I'm still in disbelief that you had cancer. She said, <laughs> she said, <laughs> she said, I still don't believe it. <laughs> She's like, it still, it still seems like so unreal to me. <laughs> that is beautiful. Nicole, what is the one takeaway from our conversation today that you want? our audience to leave with? 
I think the one takeaway, the one takeaway is to never doubt that you have something amazing to bring to this world. We are each individual lights. We are each meant to shine in our own way. And even when something happens where you feel like your your light is being dimmed a little bit, you are in control of whether or not you let your light stay dim. So shine, shine that light in your own way. Know that when you're underestimated that you can use that to your advantage and just be that bright spot that somebody else may need to see in order to be inspired to shine their own light. That is what I would say. The word is listening. What is that resounding sound or message that your generation is saying we should be listening to? I think the message we all need to listen to and really heed to is that we are all in this together. If the pandemic has taught us nothing, it should show us that we are connected. I think people know that, but maybe resisted, but to really know we are connected. And that is a good thing if we embrace it and value it and know that diverse perspectives actually bring about a clearer vision. That's what we need to listen to, to hear that we all need one another. Someone's listening and they're saying, Nicole, we're all connected. We all need each other or we should be connected. Mm -hmm. We're in a season that we are polar opposite, so Mm -hmm. much disconnect. Mm -hmm. Give us a message of hope of how we can connect. Yeah. You know how we can connect? We share to teach. We listen to learn. Part of connecting is sharing and listening to each other's stories. And I mean real authentic stories, real specific stories. And the more we share our specific stories, our authentic stories, the more we realize, yes, you may eat this and you may eat that, and they may be very different, but we all eat. And it's actually in not being afraid to share those differences that we find our shared humanity. Tell your story, your authentic story, and someone will hear that and be so connected to you, even if they look at you and don't think that they have anything in common. I sit on planes next to people all the time in planes. And I was sitting next to this woman, white woman, 80 years old, as different as you wanted to be. She shared her stories. I shared my stories. You know, we are both breast cancer survivors. We are both mothers. We found so much in common. But if you were to just look at the two of us, you were like, why are these two people still talking on this plane? We talked all the way from Albuquerque, New Mexico to Baltimore. Be willing to share your story and be willing to listen. Now, obviously, caveat, you know, take my heat of your space. Make sure you're not saying anything, you know, that's going to bite you in the long run. <laughs> so be judicious with your information. But, you know, it's that it's that vulnerability and sharing your story, but also just creating the space to listen to the story of others. 
Who is your ideal client? My ideal client, and actually is a requirement because one of the things that uh, we decided as an organization, we're not going to take anybody who's not trying to really do the work. My ideal client is someone. So typically what happens is a lot of our clients actually are folks who've been trying to work in this space of equity and inclusion and saying, um, because one of the things I put in my article was that sometimes people will be doing the work and there's a cycle, right? If you learn just a little bit, you've actually taken your organization to the peak of ignorance. You told them just enough to think that they know something, they're doing something. It's not helpful to keep us there at the peak of ignorance. And so you actually have to break that ignorance down by saying, okay, you've learned some terms, but let's get specific. What does it mean in your space? What does it mean in your practice? What does it mean in your daily habits? And we get real specific and people start to move to the valley of humility. And I say, that's okay. And they're like, it don't feel good here in the valley of humility. So sometimes people will move from the peak of ignorance to the valley of humility. And a lot of folks are there and they're like, I don't want to stay here. How do I get out of here? I said, okay, but you had to get there first. You had to really unlearn some things, unpack some things, but now we're going to move up to where our actual understanding, our actual competence and our confidence are moving in a positive slope together. So how do we move from the valley of humility to our place of of hope and transcendence? Well, we do that by taking what we've learned and getting again, real specific. And we say, all right, what does this concept that we believe in, what does this value that we have, how does that relate to our work? What are we going to do differently What are we going to shift in terms of our spaces, in terms of our systems, in terms of our habits, in terms of our practice, and then we get different outcomes. And so my ideal client is someone who really wants to move the work forward, not just do lip service. I was like, we don't, I was like, we are done with the one and done. We do not do one and done engagements. We will be with you for one, two, three years. And then even after that, we have a support plan for you because you have to invest in this long-term. You're not gonna undo issues in a work one-day workshop. That's not gonna happen. And so we have, if you're invested over time, one at least a minimum one, two, three years, and we'll support you long-term even after that, then we can work with you. And if you are about doing something differently, then we can work with you. And then the third thing is, when you do something differently, pushback will happen. I will ride with you if you will ride with me. And so will you, are you committed to staying with it when the going gets tough? Don't worry. I've been here before. I will help you. I know how to navigate the space, but what I can't do is create your will. So do you have the will to ride even when it'll get tough? That's who my client <laughs> needs to be. <laughs> what can we do now, right now to support Lesson Cast? Mm. Ooh, oh, I love that question. I think what you can do is if you know of, um, so we still primarily work with schools and districts in 2023, we're going to be starting to do our, our DEI work. But if you know of schools and districts who, and, and, and a lot of people has it, a lot of the um, school leaders I work with, I've been trying to do this equity thing for a while. I've been trying to do inclusive practices for a while. We're not getting anywhere. We're in the same place. If you know of some folks that have said that, point them to Lesson Cast and let them know it's still not going to happen overnight, but we'll work with you. You will see differences in a year. 
you will see a lot of differences after three years, but we are intentional about examining values, spaces, systems, habits, practices, and then it's those things that actually change mindsets. And we bring in, all of our work is grounded in the neuroscience of how people learn. And so I would say, if you know folks that really want to do the work and just don't know where to go, point them to the lesson cast. And in 2023, if you have some workplace initiatives that you need to have happen, again, come to the lesson cast. That's what I would say. And just also, if you have folks who are really trying to move the work forward, but they don't, they're not necessarily part of an organization that is ready for that, I would tell them to subscribe to our podcast, Did We Learn Anything? And in Did We Learn Anything is about coaching folks to how do you help create your spaces to cultivate dialogue across differences. So that, that's what I would say. Nicole, if you conducted this interview, what is the one question you would have asked yourself? I want you to ask the question and answer it. Oh my goodness, I think you stumped me. <laughs> Isn't that ironic? You stumped me with a question I'm gonna ask myself. <laughs> I, I guess I would ask, where do you see yourself in five years? Then I probably should have had an answer for that question, right? No, but <laughs> in five years, my hope is that this idea that learning is possible, that making a difference is possible spread so wide and so far and that lesson cast honestly is a global leader in that type of transcendent learning and that we are creating the systems for others to create the spaces where change can take place because i always talk about i tell folks when they're working they're like well we need people to change their mindsets we need change, we need to change hearts and minds i said well that's impossible because you can't change somebody's mind i have tried you cannot change somebody's mind but you can cultivate spaces that invites change to take place. And I feel like if we get enough folks being intentional about changing their spaces, we will see that revolution. We will see that acknowledgement, that understanding that we're in this together and that we can all have better lives if we value each other more. That was probably not a good answer to that question. <laughs> but and it's more about Lesson Cast being a global leader. I mean, it's it's great to be financially profitable, but ultimately our goal is to create a ripple effect. So I always tell my clients because they get anxious. They're like, I want to do this and I want to do that. I want to do this and I want to do that. I said, well, this is what we're not going to do. We're not going to try to boil the ocean. That doesn't work. I was like, but we're going to get focused. Some people be like, well, we need more time. I was like, you're not going to get more time. If you need more time, you need more focus. So we're going to focus. We're going to take a scoop of our water. We're going to work on that cup. And we're going to boil that cup. And then we're all going to put our cups together. And we are going to create a ripple effect. And we are going to create a wave that will make a difference for generations to come. And sometimes people look at that ocean and say, oh, this is too much. I said, go on and get your cup out. Take your scoop. Work on your scoop. And we're all going to work on our scoop together. We've come to the part of our interview. It's called Rapid Round of Fun. I'm going to ask you a series of questions, and I'd like you to give me very quick answers. If there's something you desire not to answer, feel free to say pass. Are you ready for the Rapid Round of Fun? I'm ready. I love fun. Your <laughs> ideal car. I think I want a Tesla. <laughs> More, mostly for the, the that it's, it's, you know, Electric. Your favorite holiday? Thanksgiving. The last movie you saw? 
The Woman King. Go see it. You relax doing what? Dancing. Your favorite singer or rapper? Well, I have to admit, I, I can't say this is necessarily my favorite, but I've been playing Beyonce's Renaissance album nonstop. I can't stop. Your favorite dance song? Any soca music, any soca songs. Those are my favorite dance songs. What food you eat every week, no matter what? Apples. Workout or hit the couch? Workout. Nicole Tucker-Smith, thank you so much for joining us on Black Entrepreneur Experience Podcast. Before we let you go, share with our audience the best way for them to connect with you and to do business with you. And feel free to leave all your social media handles. Awesome. Awesome. Well, if you want to connect with me on Twitter, I'm at in Tucker Smith. So in is Nicole in Tucker Smith. I am also, we are, I'm also on LinkedIn in Tucker Smith on LinkedIn as well. Honestly, that is a great way to connect with me. If you're interested in doing business is to find me on LinkedIn. And we also share our articles there. Whenever an article is published, we share either via LinkedIn or on Twitter. And then also if you go to lessoncast.com and so it's lesson and then cast C-A-S-T dot com. And I should say lesson as in L-E-S-S-O-N, not the lesson something, <laughs> but teaching a lesson, lessoncast.com. You can find information there, but also there's a connect with us space and that'll send a message to info at lessoncast.com and we will respond to you there. And I think that's it. And in terms of um, reaching out and connecting with us and we love to hear from folks, even if it's just connecting on Twitter or, or LinkedIn. And you may not have any business intentions, but you just say, I just want to stay connected. I just want to stay connected. And then last but not least, we also have, I mentioned our podcast, Did We Learn Anything? It's called Did We Learn Anything with Nicole Tucker Smith. It's on any places in which you may find podcasts. And then we also have an Instagram for Did We Learn Anything? I think it's Did We Learn Anything underscore podcast as well, but definitely connect with us. I love to have conversations. One of the segments that we have on our podcast is yays or nays and and just building that conversation. Like, is this a good thing or a bad thing? I don't know. (laughs) So I just really, I hope that your audience knows that I'm sincere and saying that we, we need to cultivate our tribe. We need to build together, stay connected together. And I hope to hear from them. Thank you, Nicole. That's a wrap. Thank you for listening and subscribing to Black Entrepreneur Experience. We would love for you to leave a review and rating on iTunes and share with your friends. For show notes and more episodes, go to www.beepodcast.com. Join us next Wednesday. And remember, green is the new black. So keep your bank accounts and your business in the black. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.